Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Happy Friday, everybody. I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. Uh, this week, we talked about COINTELPRO. Yeah, nice little uplifting peppy topic. <laughs> I would say, at least for me, I don't often go into an episode thinking from the beginning this is going to be two parts. Um, Like, a lot of times it grows into two parts while I'm working on it. Yeah. Um, And this is definitely a case where that happened. A lot of times when something grows into two parts, um, I still have both parts ready to go on the same schedule because the thing that really takes the longest is the research part. Comparatively, the writing part is shorter. So, like, writing the second episode a lot of times is, like, still doable. This was not the case in this one. (laughs) I was like, I this is going to be two parts that I also need more time with it (laughs) because it is just a tangled mess. And, like, a lot of it requires, like, there's a lot of stuff that we had talked about previously on the show before. Like, we have two-parter, a two-parter on the, uh, the Palmer Raids. We have a two-parter from previous hosts about the McCarthy era. We have a lot of background on a lot of the civil rights people and organizations that were targeted. Um, but there's other stuff that we had never really talked about before that all required explaining. And then stuff like having a whole COINTELPRO targeting the new left when nobody could define what the new left meant. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm like... I'm just, like, picturing the mentality. I know they make me feel weird and uncomfortable. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. I, I want to shout out to my friend Amy, who was kind of my sounding board for, like, how to explain specifically why communism was so threatening. Because, like, man, it was just the, just the response was so disproportionate to the actual amount of threat involved. With communism, the response, all of it, all of it, the entirety of the all of the Cointel pros are like a totally different response than like what was actually uh, warranted. Whether it was grouping every organization that was fighting for equal rights for Black Americans into the category of Black nationalist hate groups, or really only being concerned about the Ku Klux Klan murdering people and not about all their other stuff. Right. There's just so much, so much. One of the things that was particularly frustrating to me as I was finishing this up, because I worked on this leading up to the 4th of July and wrapped it up after coming back from like a 4th of July long weekend where I don't know about everybody else, where we stayed at home and did nothing. Same. Um, uh, We have this whole national origin story that turns people who took up arms against what they saw as an oppressive government and destroyed property and waged a literal war. Like, we frame that as heroic in the mainstream discourse. Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe not quite as much within the last six weeks or so, but, like, in general. Um, And when you have the same kind of language being used by Black people saying we are oppressed and we would like to not be oppressed anymore like than that, we become the, we being like the white majority (laughs) become the bad guys. We become Britain in the story of American Revolution. Yeah. And it just, it, it 
deeply annoyed and frustrated me. Yeah, um, it, it's so interesting. I mean, I've been kind of waxing rhapsodic. I don't know if that's quite the right phrase. I've been thinking a lot about all of these issues, as I'm sure almost everyone has. But there were two things that have been uh, on my mind that this particular episode really brought, like, touched on that I had already been thinking about. One was, it's going to sound slightly random, um, the discussion of the weird attempt at, at, I don't know, subterfuge, confusion, etc., of bringing the burnt cross remains to a KKK meeting mm-hmm. um, or having them delivered. Because I remember, I grew up in a military family, so we moved when I was nine from where we were living outside of Seattle to the panhandle of Florida. And not long after we had moved there, three lots down from our house, there was a huge cross burning. And, like, it was one of those things where in this episode where you talked about how, like, they then took it outside and burned it. And there there was this idea of we will shame them by making the or, you know, scare them by making them aware that people know where they meet. And I was like, none of those people in my neighborhood were the least bit concerned about no. anyone knowing where they were or who they were. So it it kind of struck me as interesting. And the other thing that I keep thinking about, because I am trying to grasp some many of the behaviors that I see that don't make sense to me, is that old saying that actors always say when people ask them why they're so good at playing villains, and it's because villains don't perceive themselves as the villains. They always think that they are the hero. And I keep trying to apply that, like not in any way to excuse or both sidesism anything, but try to figure out really, like, what is driving some of the behaviors. And I kept thinking about that throughout this entire discussion of, like, did any of these people ever stop and question that were involved in these COINTELPRO initiatives? Like, hey, we've gone a bit too far here. Or are they all like, this is being done for the correct reason we are all supporting and keeping safe what is important to us in this country. Like, I I really always have to question, did anybody go, uh, I don't know about yeah. this one. So uh, I I feel pretty confident that, like, J. Edgar Hoover thought he was in the right with all of this. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he died before any of these uh, hearings happened. Um, a thing that I found as I was researching, and then when I tried to go back to find it and confirm it, to put it in the episode was that when um, the COINTELPRO Black Nationalist hate groups pivoted to focus uh, just on the Black Panthers, that there was an agent who was like, they're just, they're giving breakfast to kids. Like, what? Right. Why? why? And then, you know, the the memo that came back just doubling down on what a violent threat uh, the Black Panthers were. Um, so, I, like, I feel confident that there were individual people within this whole system who were like, "What? this does not make a lot of sense or we should not be doing this. Um, but like as an organization, the Bureau definitely felt like it was the the force that was protecting the American people from all of these nefarious influences when <laughs> the nefarious influences were like literally civil rights groups and women's rights groups and people saying, hey, maybe we should not be involved in this war in Vietnam. Like there were, uh, I mean, as we tried to make clear in the episode, like there definitely were individuals and groups who did have um like violent 
uh, either violence as part of their rhetoric or had been directly involved in violence or whatever. But a lot of people were really just like, the way this country is working is not right and we need to do something about it. And the Bureau was like, that's a threat. We're going to bug your house right. and send fake letters to your wife to try to get her to divorce you. Yeah, I, d- I don't. That's where I'm. That's where I have a really hard time wrapping my head around it. It's like we will destroy you for questioning, yeah, and wanting better for everyone. That is really terrifying to me. Yeah, we also didn't talk as much about it in the episode. Like we did talk about laws that variously, uh, like pulled back on um, the idea of communism being criminal. Um, and, like, court cases, especially under the Warren court that were, like, no, people have the right to <laughs> to talk about revolution being necessary as, like, an abstract term. Like, that, the idea that uh, that a lot of the things that were illegal are still illegal, like, at least in terms of the law, in a lot of cases, it's like, no, that's protected under the First Amendment now. That doesn't mean that that's enforced consistently across groups, right. depending on what people are calling for. Um when you and I started uh, recording these episodes today, I mentioned they're being long, and you were like, this could have been a three-parter, and there was a couple of things. One was that I had gotten to the point where I was like, I I feel like I have gone where I can go with this. Um, and the other is that, like, if it could be a three-parter, it could be, like, a 12-parter. Right. It could be an entire brand-new podcast that's just about Pro that's going to run for three years, because uh, it's a lot. There's just a lot. Um there's a bunch of, like, Freedom of Information Act stuff that's on the, like, in the FBI vault part of their website that has, you know, the documents, a lot of them are redacted, but it's pages and pages and pages of stuff that you can read for yourself. Um, the church report, all the stuff we read of it was from the things that were specifically about the the FBI, but, like, that was a multiple-volume, gigantic report. Right. There's just a ton of stuff. This is also a case where if you were part of a community that was targeted by one of these COINTEL pros, you probably already knew a lot about this. And if you were not targeted uh, and don't know a lot of, like, FBI history or counterintelligence history, this might have been all new information to you. Right. Uh, yeah, I. there's part of me that wants to um, ask my father his thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. Because I grew up in a very conservative, like I said, military households. Uh, and I was born in the midst of all of this. I was born in 1971. So really is like stuff was hitting the fan. Mm-hmm. But I'm also afraid of that conversation. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's a lot. It's a whole huge tangle. Also, I really enjoyed watching the documentary 1971 um, which is available on various streaming services. Um, and it was one of those things where I had stopped working, in quotation marks, like I had stopped working for the day. Um, and I was like, I really want to watch this documentary. And I feel like it's going to be uh, something that I can watch at 8 p.m. and not feel like I have just worked until bedtime, right. <laughs> which is something I try not to do. I try to, like, have some time that is just my time. Um, and I turned it on, and Patrick was in the room with me, and he had not, I don't think he had started out planning to watch it, but he got totally engrossed, and the <laughs> next day was like, that was so fascinating. Um, so, uh, I, again, I have not read the book that was also about that same story, but um, that documentary I really liked. Um, and a point that probably 
uh, could have been made during the episode that we didn't make is that the the activists who were involved in that in that break in uh, were white, and that gave them like some added cover mm-hmm. in terms of like going into this apartment building on that night to do the break in. So anyway, uh, it's Cointel Pro. It's a bunch of thoughts I had about Cointel Pro. <laughs> commandeered my brain more than probably any other episode I have ever worked on. I would wake up at the two o'clock in the morning thinking about FBI counterintelligence operations. Right. Right. Yeah. It's one of those things where, um, you know, we live in an, in the what's casually called the information age where there is often discussion of whether or not people are being surveilled at all times or sometimes and whether or not that's being done by government agencies or private companies, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, which is always a whole tangle that is difficult, you know. Oh, right. It's it's difficult for anyone to feel confident in their position on it because there is always a lot of stuff that we are not privy to. Um, mm-hmm. I will, as a way to potentially end this in an up place, just note that I like to include a lot of absurdity in my day-to-day life just in case some <laughs> poor schmo is having to listen to and sort through the things that I say. Like, I don't know. It's like a 12-minute monologue about kitties and Greedo. I don't I don't know. It's weird. I don't, is that a code? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, that seems like a good place to wrap. If folks would like to send us an email, we're at historypodcast at iheartradio.com. Uh... Have a good weekend, folks. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 